0: Just a few announcements as we get going. Um, We are going to, next week, be having a Baptism Sunday, which is really awesome. Yes. And so, next week, be prepared for that. If you want to talk to Pastor Shane about that, if you're interested in being baptized, please get in contact with him about that. Um, The other announcement that we have this morning is about Operation Christmas Child. I was told that maybe the iPad's working. Um, Do we want to jump right into that?
1: begotten son i want every child to know that there's a god i want every child to know that god loves them that god sent his son from heaven to this earth to take our sins we've got a charge to go into the world to make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the father the son the holy spirit god here i am Take me and send me and use me.
0: God laid it on my heart. The Himbas need someone to give them the word of God. My
2: vision for the Salamakan tribes is that we will share the gospel and to establish a host church here so that they also can receive the, the, the blessing of Christ. Through the gift boxes, we are going places
1: that no church will be allowed, places like Ganvi, that floating village.
2: We are reaching those that have never heard the gospel.
1: We find them having not even a Bible in their own language. Areas of the world where people need to know that God loves them and cares them and sent His Son from heaven to this earth for them.
2: operation christmas child opened doors to evangelism discipleship and
1: multiplication when a child receives a shoebox it shows
0: them who god really is and how much he cares for them we bring gift to the children also the mothers and the fathers and their brothers and sisters also accepted the lord jesus christ Churches are using these shoeboxes, the greatest journey discipleship program, to reach out to the ends of the earth with the gospel.
1: God sent his son to this earth on a rescue mission. Jesus Christ died and shed his blood on the cross for our sin. And then on the third day, God in heaven said it's enough, and he raised his son to life. This is the good news, and we've got a responsibility to take this message to the ends of the earth.
0: All right, so for th- that, I don't know if, uh, if you were able to catch everything, but Operation Christmas Child is an excellent opportunity to to share God's uh, good news in, in really hard-to-reach places. And so basically what there is is there's a shoebox, thus Operation uh, Christmas Child shoeboxes that you'll hear about, and you put it together, and then there's a list of things that you stuff it with, things that people can use, kids can use all over the place. Then those get sent out to locations all over the world and given to local ministries to local churches so that the pastors and the leaders and the elders in those places can reach those kids and have direct opportunities to share the gospel with them so it's an amazing tool it's something that we've done for years and years and so i highly recommend grabbing the the box and and just you know a list and, and helping out and participating in that for now though go ahead and stand up we're going to read today's memory verse and then go into a time of music worship. So today's memory verses from 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 1 John 3, 1. Let's pray together this morning. Dear Jesus, we're so grateful that we get to be here with each other And we get to be with you, God. We know that you live within us, but we know that you are within your church. Where two or three or more are gathered in your name, you are for sure with us. We have that promise, God, and we are so grateful for that. And God, everything that we do this morning, we just want to honor you. We want to lift up your name and we want to praise you. God, whether it's through music, whether it's through being generous with our time or our our financial resources, whether it's through learning your word and becoming equipped to share your good news with other people, God, just work in us deeply this morning. There's things that need to change in us, but there's a world that needs to hear about you and do those things for your glory, God. Thank you again for this day. Amen.
2: My voice is a little... Quiet today. Bear with me. I hope that isn't a distraction. We've got incredible truth to encounter in God's Word today. Thanks for being here. So glad. If you're new here, my name is Pastor Shane, um, and uh, I've been here for about a year. And I want to tell you a story. I've got uh, a possession of mine, if you will. But uh, this is uh, one of my, has been one of my prized possessions. There's only about 500 of these type guitars made in the world. It's it's a special edition, limited 2004 Takamine. I know some of you are like, why should I care at this point? Well, there's a story. This is only about 500 of these in the world. And when I was young and a freshman in college, I went on a missions trip to inner city Dallas. And many of you have heard me tell stories from those experiences And in one of those experiences it was my first time doing ministry and i had that guitar and it was my prized possession and i was possessive of it if people looked at my guitar the wrong way i would look at them the wrong way you know what i'm saying and uh, if people would ask me hey can i play it can i pick it up i'd be like no you're not worthy I was very possessive of my guitar. It was a graduation gift from my parents, and I took it with me on this mission trip because I would not be parted with it. At one point in college, I said, I didn't need a girlfriend. I have my guitar. And so if that gives you a sense for the lesson that God had to teach me on this trip, uh, after a long day of doing ministry, inner city, homeless ministry, um, we went back to a place we were staying, inner city, and that night... My guitar, I was so tired, I forgot it in the back of the van, and as I woke up the next morning, I found shattered glass on the back of the van, and my treasured possession was gone. And it was this very guitar. Um, Well, it was was the same type of this guitar, same kind, and I remember running out, and I was devastated. I had just lost my whole world. You ever lost, you ever been stolen from, where you just get that deep pit in your stomach? And it was just like, I was devastated. And as I prayed through it, and I, as we continued to do ministry, God did amazing things at the end of that week. And I went home, but I still felt like a piece of me was missing. And I'll never forget, I had to walk through this idea of repentance, much like this rich young ruler we're going to talk about here in a minute. I had to go through this idea of repentance that I had made something so important that it became more important than God in my life. And God had to teach me, he disciplines those whom he loves, amen? He had to teach me that something that I own is not really mine, but it's his. And through that, when I came to repentance, I'll never forget, I got a phone call. My mom said, hey, we found out that our Homeowner's insurance is going to cover that guitar. I said, well, that's fine, but there's only 500 in the world. There's no way I'm going to get another one of those. That day, I got a message that popped up in my email that said, there's a limited 2004 Takamani limited edition, and God restored to me the same guitar that I had lost after, after I had repented of clinging to my possession so tightly. See, God is going to point out something really tender in all of us today, and I hope you don't get mad at me for saying so. It's God's Word. That we have a tender spot for the things in our life, and they can very much become possessive of how we live our lives. How we treat our stuff actually has a lot to do with our relationship and our walk with God, and we're going to see that today. So if you got a Bible, I hope you do. We're going to be talking about possessive possessions, possessive possessions. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 10. And if you remember last week, this is a kind of a 2 part conversation. Jesus is talking to this rich, young ruler who thought that he was a good man. And Jesus then points out tenderly to this man that he is not a good man. In fact, none are good but God alone. And then we find the second part of this conversation, starting in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want you to just look at this right here first. Here's the thing. We know that God disciplines those whom he loves, yes? But I want you to, to understand the, the tender compassion that God has for us when he deals with us in hard topics. He sandwiches or he starts by looking at this man, not frustrated. See, Jesus is going to show that he knows that. Our worst aspects. He knows our idolatry. He knows where we are sinful, but yet he feels this deep, compassionate, and genuine love for us, just as he does this man. I love that that's where God starts, but then it gets hard from here. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions, had many possessions. And so, Jesus here, as we begin to unpack this, um, again, just a reminder that this is a sensitive topic. It's so interesting to me that as soon as pastors begin to talk about money, finances, or things, people get upset really easy the unfortunate thing for pastors and those in, in what doing what I do is that Jesus tended to talk about our stuff and our wealth and our money because there is where our heart is, isn't it? And so much of our focus, so much of our time, if we look at statistics, most marriages, what is the number one thing that we end up arguing about in marriage? Money and things, right? What is the thing that we find ourselves pursuing more than anything else in this life? Typically, it's things and money, isn't it? And so, Jesus tenderly takes, this, takes on this sensitive topic for us and in the heart of this man. It starts getting testy, perhaps. This is because possessions have become the greatest idols in our consumerist culture. You've heard me talk about the consumerism that we exist in. Our whole culture is based around this idea that we are consumers of a product, isn't it? Everything that drives our economy is based on our what? Our wants and our desires. Everything you're advertised. Is based on wants and our desires, the things that we could have. It is important to know that Jesus, when he addresses our deepest hang-ups, wraps us in a reminder of his love. It's important as we continue uh, talking about this conversation to set up the context at this time, not unlike today, but maybe a little bit different than how we think, is back in this time, during the time of the rich young ruler, is that if you had wealth, if you had a great deal of possessions, people believed that you were favored by God. They believed God liked you. An evidence of God liking you was what? You had stuff. You had wealth. And I think some of us would like to think that we don't believe that today, but when we look out at celebrities and we watch movies and when we think about Hollywood culture, we like to think that maybe sometimes they have stuff that we want that maybe God likes them better than us. Anybody fall into that line of thinking sometimes? Statistics actually tell us, as we began to address this idea of wealth, tell us that Americans on, are on average, so all of us in here, the most wealthy in the world. It's a little less now uh, since 2008, but it still rings true that we are some of the most wealthy people in the world. We're some of the most wealthy people in the world. Wealth and money is not the enemy. As we look at Scripture, we need to remember that it's not an enemy. I think about the book of Luke. Anybody know in the book of Luke, it starts off addressing a guy in the book of Luke. If you turn to the book of Luke, it says, Oh, excellent Theophilus. Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy financier that, that funded Luke's investigation into and interviews of the people who saw and witnessed Jesus's life, death, and, and burial, and resurrection. So wealth, if there wasn't wealthy people, then we wouldn't actually have a whole book of the Bible. Theophilus financed Luke being able to do that. So money's not the enemy, but our relationship with money can be really tentative on our spirituality. This man was confident he had everything he needed, and he was affirmed by everyone except for Jesus. And we've already seen that in this conversation. Jesus uh, did not affirm anything this man came to him with. He said he thought he was a good person. Jesus didn't affirm that. He said no one is good. And now he's going to point out what he lacks. See, here's the thing about God. God knows our heart, and that should make all of us kind of shudder a little bit. Anybody go kind of, oh, if God knew everything was in my heart, then it would be kind of, if anybody knew what was going on in my head and my heart all of the time, it would be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? Not just embarrassing, but shameful sometimes. But see, here's the thing about God. It says that he knows our heart. I I want to quote Spurgeon here. If you know Charles Spurgeon, he says that the human heart... It's a great quote. The human heart is an idle factory, constantly creating things to replace God in our life. The human heart is an idle factory. What does that mean for us? It means that we have a natural proclivity to be possessive, to be existing for things, for material goods, for wealth, for money. Have you ever been around a kid? And one of the early words that they learn, You said it! Ah, I didn't even have to say it. Mine, mine, mine! Mine. How many of you have said that? Mine. You as an adult said that yesterday, didn't you? Mine. When it came to that last candy bar that your kid wanted and you did, you said mine. I guess that's what I did. Sorry, guys. But we have this this possessiveness that we're worried about getting what we need. It's called this scarcity mentality that we're constantly worried that we're not going to get the things that we want or we think the things that we need. But we have such charges in Scripture to be anxious for nothing, not what you will wear or what you'll eat. Um, I think of Matthew 6, the whole chapter in Matthew 6 is the do not be anxious passage. It says that God knows what you need before you need it. He knows. He knows. He knows what you need. And it says be anxious for nothing. But God knows our heart and this scarcity mentality that we tend to live in. And so then he tenderly begins to point out in this young man something that I think we need to understand that to possess physically can put you at a lack spiritually. I'll say that again. To possess physically can put you at a lack spiritually. Sometimes we get so caught up in the things that we have. uh, I think of how many of you own a phone? How many of you, your phone owns you? Uh, where are my guys at? How many of you own uh, an ATV, a UTV or a snowmobile or a boat or fishing tackle? I'm looking okay, I, I caught you on that one, right? Or fishing tackle. How many of you are owned by those things? See, a lot of times our possessions can take control our tools, our vehicles, our screens. Anybody, it's amazing to me how screen inundated our whole world is. How much are we owned by our screens? How many of you have this I, this thing called withdraw when you don't pick up your phone? You ever have the ghost pickup where it's like you're just sitting there and all of a sudden it's like an automatic response where you're picking that phone up and you're like, well, it's in front of me. What just happened? It's like you're not in control. That's because your thing has now learned to possess you, hasn't it? <laughs> See, we need to use those things responsibly. Those tools can be used to God's glory, yes. But when they start to control us, then there is a problem. And we have a limited bandwidth. To fill one's self with things is to decrease your bandwidth with other things. And this is what we need to understand. If we fill our lives with stuff, you know, one of the, the most common answers I ask, when's the last time you read the Bible? Or when's the last time you spent intimate time with God? You know what people tell me? The B word. Busy. I'm busy. Pastor, I'm busy. You don't understand. I'm busy. I'm busy. Well, what you're seeing is, yeah, you are busy. You have a limited bandwidth, and you've chosen to use that limited bandwidth for your things. And so now you have no more bandwidth for the God of the universe. And so here, God is pointing out to this young man his limited bandwidth and the way that he's chosen to spend his limited bandwidth. You guys ever notice this concept of hidden fees? You ever notice that when you subscribe to something, whether it be Netflix, now it's a monthly subscription? How many of you have like 30 monthly subscriptions? How many of you have lost track of how many monthly subscriptions you have? Well, see, there's this kind of this idea when it comes to possessions is that they're constantly laboring to possess us and there's all kinds of hidden fees in every physical thing that we buy and possess, isn't there? because there's upkeep time. There's the expense of mind and body. How do you use it? How do you upkeep it? Um, maybe you need to insure it. Can I get an amen on that? That's not cheap, right? You got monthly fees. Oh, and don't forget the annual upgrade. So you're on a hamster wheel, aren't you? Do you see how your possessions can start to possess you? And so this is really important concept that Jesus is trying, and I think it's very applicable today, is that this this rich young man was being destroyed by his wealth spiritually, and he didn't see it, and everybody was affirming him. He had nice things. Surely he was good to go because he had nice things, but instead he was spiritually dead. He was spiritually dead. And so Jesus' prognosis to this man is to do what? to trade in his earthly wealth for that of treasures in heaven, for that of treasures in heaven. His prognosis was to do a trade, earthly for heavenly treasure. It's a hard trade, I think, for many of us, and this man's value for the world had a deep control over his heart. It makes me think of several passages before we get to that. I want to share a couple of passages with you. Matthew 6, 24 tells us, no one can serve two masters for he will he will either will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money and when you have two masters you'll make one of them serve the other and many of us in our walk with god try to make god serve our money you ever heard of the prosperity gospel and that's where we become consumers of Christianity. Instead of, instead of coming and wanting God for who He is, we want God for His things. You ever had somebody use you to get something? You ever been used by somebody to get something? Did you have a very good relationship with that person? But yet many of us treat God the same way, don't we? Yet many of us treat God the same way. as just a means to an end. We either serve God with our things, or you will try to use God to get things. Notice Jesus says, "All you have, all you have." This is an interesting difference from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we had this thing called tithing. You Guys, heard of it? And the requirement of the Old Testament was that you would get a tenth. Of, you would give a tenth of your produce. To God, right? It was a tenth, the concept of a tenth. Well, Jesus kind of undoes this idea of the tenth in the New Testament. He says we no longer are held to the law because he fulfilled the law for us. But, but how a Christian now views their belongings, not as 10% of it is God's and the 90% is mine, but a Christian now views their wealth, their things, everything, 100% belongs to who? God. And so we are no longer owners but we are now stewards of God's good gifts, his things. And this is how we have right relationship with our things. This is how we have right relationship with our things. The difference from the tithe is that God owns 100% of what we have, not just 10%. What if everything was poured out for the mission? What if you live to give your things up for the benefit of the people of God? and for people to hear the gospel. I love that it just so happened Rochelle came to me who's coordinating our Operation Christmas Child. How appropriate is it that we're starting that right now? For all of us, and here would be my prayer, brothers and sisters, this ministry is a ministry that we can teach our hearts or train our hearts not to have idols, but instead to be givers, and to understand that our wealth is not for us, but it's to give to others. And so I encourage you, if you can, or get an opportunity, grab a box, pack it full of those things, make it a fun time, and send it out to those in need in the name of the gospel, because it trains our heart. Well, we'll get to that here in a second. So this man left depressed. He left sad. What everyone told him was a benefit was actually a weighted chain, not Jesus. It's not Jesus' yoke that he had placed upon himself, but it was the yoke that he inflicted upon himself. How many of you have inflicted a yoke upon yourself through your possessions? I, I, I'm I'm fairly certain if we were to have you all raise your hands right now, everybody to raise your hands, right? You lack one thing. We need to trade our earthly goods and recognize that 100% of them belong to the Lord. Mark 10.23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, whenever I share this, I have to point out, I don't care who you are. If you're here and you're in the U.S., you are in this category. You're in this category. If you have ownership over anything, if you have anything that you would say is mine, that word rich or the wealthy, another translation of that will say, if you have belongings at all, if you own belongings, and you'll see why that's important for us to understand. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard in general to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he took the rich part out. In in general, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, here's where he gets crazy. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Anybody know how big a camel is? I, I went through this visual with my kids at the dinner table today or uh, this week. It's like how big is a camel? They're like as big as the dinner table, Dad. And I said, how big is a needle? And we were all sitting at the dinner table looking through our needles at each other. And we're like, that doesn't fit, right? That doesn't fit. And that's why the big reaction from the disciples, they say the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently. I'm always super curious at this idea of what, what is it when Jesus looks intently? Can you imagine sitting you know, next to Jesus and Jesus, the Lord of the universe, is looking at you intently? like what does that intently look but intently and he said humanly speaking it is impossible what is he telling us here it is impossible for you to disconnect yourself from your possessions isn't it you and I are always at a loss when it comes to having a right relationship with God's creation but not with but not with God everything is possible with God and this is the gospel of grace isn't it The you and I cannot force ourselves, we cannot discipline ourselves into having right relationship with creation, but we, through Jesus, can learn the right way to handle our things. So, it is impossible, humanly speaking, to be free from the tyranny of possessions. I had an elder in my last church, he said, well, you know what, I bet you if you were to take away the money, from believers or from the church, things would get a little chaotic, wouldn't it? And it's true, right? We can't, my dad used to tell me he would get so frustrated with the Bible because he would say, well, we have to eat, don't we? We can't just sell everything and leave, like we still have to eat. So what is God calling us to do here in this passage? Does he want us all to sell everything and to give it all to the poor and just kind of kind of live a, a homeless lifestyle, I don't think that's what he's calling us to do here, but we do need to understand that the world itself runs on money, that we are hopelessly trapped. The world runs on money, and it will never be free of it unless out of discipline or necessity. It made me think the impossibility of this visual of a camel fitting through a needle, and it shocked the disciples so much that they said, this is impossible, God, for us to have uh, uh, any kind of salvation even, to be able to enter the kingdom of God, that's impossible. Well, someday, uh, there's kind of this idea of Christians and idea of humanity, really. We don't change unless we're forced to. Anybody ever know that about yourself? You don't change unless it, it out of necessity. Well, that's one of the aspects that we know in history, if you're into Revelation study, there's coming someday, Uh, something called the mark of the beast. You guys heard this? Revelations 13, 16 through 17. Um, Also, so talking regarding the, the mark of the beast, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast of the number of its name. Now you think about that and we're having all kinds of conversations because israel's back in conflict again aren't you how many of you've had the last days thoughts and questions we're opening up the book of revelation again and just to think about it, it's always good to think about this idea that there will become a time where the author or where the the world will not offer us a chance to both be in the world and outside of the world in christ that that there will have to be a decision made we will either give up our things for christ or we will be consumed and take on and walk away from Christ so that we can continue to do trade. Did you hear that? At one point, history will no longer allow for us to have and to be possessed by possessions. You will be outed by history, and that day may come in our lifetimes. I don't know. I always, when I say Jesus is coming any day, I always, it could be today, I don't know. But our idolatry will be confronted in one way in this life or in another, whether by death or the last days, <clears throat> confessing. So where does that leave us? Where, where are we supposed to walk then? If we know it's impossible, what is Jesus trying to point out in this young man? What can we walk away with today? Is that idea that we need to be confessing that we all have a possessive mindset instead of a stewardship mindset. We need to confess that we tend towards a possessive mindset instead of a stewardship mindset. Awareness is part of the battle, yes? Awareness is a part of the battle. Confessing that is a part of ourselves. God can bring possessions into obedience if we make him, Here's I thought this was kind of a cool word, uh, accountant. Is Jesus the accountant of your money? Do you ask WWJD? It's always fun to ask. What would Jesus do in in social situations? Do you ask, What would Jesus do with my wallet? There's a dangerous question. There's a dangerous question. How many of you just kind of like, oh, I don't like what the pastor just said. Your hand went to your wallet. Well, guys went to the wallet to the purse, right? Um, God can bring possessions into obedience if we make Him our accountant. So. How do we become a people that have heavenly value instead of earthly value? Mark 10, 28. Then Peter began to speak up. So I love Peter is always the first to jump in and become all about himself, right? We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied. Calm down, Peter. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake... And for the good news, here's the promise of God. Are you ready for this? We will receive now, not later, now, in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So you have the now, and you have the distinction of the eternal life. How many of you feel... Like you have a hundred times the things that you gave up in Christ when you chose to follow Him. When I ask that, a lot of times people are like, wait a second, what did I miss? He said, now. He said, if I give up these things in my life now, I'll have a hundred times now. What does that mean? Well, here's what that means it means the church. When you are brought into the family of God, you inherit hundreds and hundreds of mothers, brothers, sisters don't you and we consider ourselves a family here but also along with that as property when we come here as a church we say that what is mine belongs to god and and god has me share that amongst my siblings doesn't he that's why christians can be some of the most generous people in the world in and among themselves because we sacrificially give to one another don't we well that's what we should do because that's part of that inheritance that, that Jesus is talking about, when you join the family, you're joining together, and you're saying that now everything that is mine belongs not just to me, but to the church, and so I'm leveraging every one of my belongings, my every one of my things are going to be for the benefit of the body of Christ and the movement of the gospel in the world. That's how a Christian has a right view on their wealth. Isn't that interesting? How many of you are like, I would rather save save up for my 401k? So that I could go on sandy beaches and retire someday. Retirement's not in the Bible, by the way. I've said that a couple of times. There's never a time where it's like, oh, I have to stop giving all of my self to Christ. That doesn't happen. We get to rejoice in doing that the rest of our lives. And Mark 31, 10 31 says, But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem important now will be the greatest then. So let's talk about heavenly treasure as we close. Train the heart by trading earthly wealth. Would you train your heart by trading earthly wealth? Did you guys know that we can both train right now for our eternity with Christ? And I don't mean getting to the gym, guys. It doesn't mean pumping more iron, but I want you to see this. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. That's 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. So how do we train? We train by trading our earthly wealth for heavenly good. That's what we do. That's what we do. And so we look at things like Operation Christmas Child. Why do Christians give to another place in the uh, the world where we'll probably never see them? Because God's use of his resources is more important than our use of our resources. And so we look at even our houses. Um, When I said, what's your most prized possession, how many of you thought your house? Okay. I I think it's good to have a house, by the way. Don't sell your house. Um, But the idea is, how do you use that house? How do you use that house? Do you use, do you leverage your things for the glory of God? Maybe that means you need to stop possessing your house and making sure that messy people don't come over and sit at your dinner table or ruin your kitchen, but instead you start to use your house for the glory of God by inviting people into your life. Maybe that's what you do with your possessions. For me and my guitar, it was like, okay, maybe instead of trying to be really impressive and keeping my guitar to myself, maybe I start teaching others how to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Maybe I use my things for the glory of the Lord. It's okay to have nice things, but what you do with those nice things tells you, is it possessing you or is it given to the Lord? Does that make sense? Train your heart. Train your heart, that idle factory by trading earthly wealth and giving it to the Lord for his purposes. There's a heavenly hidden value. Many of you have maybe heard the parable of the treasure in the field. And it goes like this. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. I know there's quite a few fields around here in Riverton, yes? How many of you were at the pumpkin pumpkin patch recently? Can you imagine walking into the middle of a pumpkin patch, and you see a treasure box that has untold wealth and riches? Well, this is the, it's an illustration of the kingdom of heaven here, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What's the picture for us? Is that the value that you get out of the kingdom of heaven far exceeds what you could try to get in this life by yourself. Far exceeds. Did you notice the man joyfully sold everything because he knew what had greater wealth? There really is a hidden value to heavenly treasure. There's a hidden value to heavenly treasure, which is the investment of the the gospel into people. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 tells us, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Hmm, that sounds familiar. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we know that the church is the treasure that we receive, the reward that we receive now. Giving to the church is only one facet of how you train your heart out of idolatry, how you sell it all. This is why We, at the end of the services, give you an opportunity to train your heart to worship by giving. You don't have to give to this church, but the idea of not being possessed by your wealth means that you need to train your heart to give. You need to train your heart to give and not be owned by your possessions. You need to live a life of being able to give in a healthy and sordid way, in an intentional way. How many of you know that if you don't intentionally plan on giving to others, you never will? Anybody there? Anybody there? Anybody struggling with the mind-mind mindset right now? Pastor, you're telling me to give to others? That's mine. I worked for that. That's my stuff. But no, see, our treasure, our, our investment is in the heavenly treasure of this kingdom. So what? Would you give? Give of your things, not just your money, not just of your time. Find a place to give turn your heart towards train your heart towards giving and you'll find the idolatry in your heart begin to diminish as you realize the infinite worth of of the heavenly treasure and would you view yourself not as an owner of your things but a steward of your things what does it mean to be a steward you're not in charge it's not mine mine it's his his and so when you think about what am I going to do with this today? It's, it's how do I make sure that this is under the possession of God and not myself? Because I am his 100%. My house, my car, my things are all his. They don't belong to me. And what does that mean for us? Hey, church up. If you've got awesome things that God has blessed you with, praise the Lord. Don't be possessive of them, but share with one another. Let your good resources bless others around you. It's not a sin to have nice things. It's a sin to be owned by nice things. Did you hear that? Small groups, what is one heavenly treasure that I lack because I have clung to earthly goods? I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, God. We pray that you would break us from being possessed by our possessions. Would you help us to view ourselves as stewards and not as owners? We know and trust, God, that every good thing came from you above. And so, Lord Jesus, we just pray uh, that we would give all to you because you gave all to us with your life, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. You gave us righteousness, not of our own. And so, God, would you help us to learn to be givers? because you're worthy, and that's how you told us and showed us to be, God. I pray that you'd help all every one of us battle our selfish nature. God, go with us from here today, and it's in your great and holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.